0: We have a few brief hours to embrace an aspect of our mission that I think we've largely forgotten. Who was Melchizedek? Everybody wants to know who he was. Scripture gives us reasons to believe that this is a man who is living in the time of Abraham, uh, a mysterious man, a man who is a type of Christ, The important thing, my friends, about Melchizedek is not who he is or where he came from, but what it should mean to you and I. That the Melchizedek priesthood of which you are a part, 1 Peter 2 verses 5 through 9 tells us that we are a royal priesthood. Why are we a royal priesthood? Because the high priest is a king, and that king and high priest is the Lord Jesus Christ who is the king of righteousness and the king of peace, and you are a priesthood chosen for a specific purpose under true Melchizedek. In order to understand the end of the story, you have to remember the beginning of the story, correct? Let's go back to the book of Genesis where God called a man who would be the head of two races. He's actually Uh, the originator of more than that, but we're talking about spiritual races. He would be the father of many nations, Abraham, and he would have a seed, which Paul tells us in Galatians 3.16 speaks of Christ, but that seed would be more in number than the stars of the heavens and the sand of the seashore. A heavenly people anticipated the church. An earthly people anticipated the nation of Israel and those who enter into her fold, including Gentiles of every other nation. The seed would be heavenly and earthly, and ultimately it would all be one, as Jesus said in John chapter 10, one flock, one shepherd, yet distinct, not the same, distinct, unique, but brought together as one. The 14th chapter, we have a story It's a story of nations hostile to Israel who come into the land. Abram, of course, is living as a nomad. And of course, the five armies come into the land under Chatterley Omer, and uh, they sweep through the land. And uh, as they're snatching up uh, captives, they take Lot and his family. And Abram hears about it. And this is where we hear the story. Verse 13 says, One who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew. The word Hebrew, Ivrit, means the one who crosses the river. And so Abram, who came from Ur of Chaldea, is the Hebrew, and from him comes a new nation, the Hebrew nation. He dwelt by the terebrinth trees of Mamre. There's a whole story there. Mamre means the teacher. He was staying at the trees of the teacher. Who's the teacher? Well, we're not told. It's left for us to discover. Now when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants. He divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods, and he brought back his brother Lot and his goods as well as the women and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine isn't it interesting four thousand years ago a man steps on the scene to refocus abram to deliver him from distraction to deliver him from temptation and he uses the same elements that jesus used with the disciples in the upper room he brought out bread and wine he was the priest of the most high god and he blessed him and said blessed be abram of god most high possessor of heaven and earth And blessed be God, most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Melchizedek blessed Abram. What did God say? I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And Melchizedek, who by the way, I believe was Abram's mentor and teacher. He was the one who came to the oak and taught the oaks of Mamre. And he blessed him. In Hebrews chapter 5, we meet Melchizedek again. For every high priest, we're not talking now about priesthood per se, but the high priest. Every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God. The priest has the role of standing between God and men. And the primary role of a priest is intercession. Verse 3 says, because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God just as Aaron was. Now here's the crux. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. We know from the Psalms where we find this uh, verse that this was spoken unto Jesus Christ after the resurrection. Following the resurrection, God the Father said to God the Son, You are my Son, this day I have begotten you. And he also says in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Psalm 110, verse 4. Jesus Christ became the high priest of the order of Melchizedek on his resurrection. So as to form a priesthood of a new order. And the priesthood of a new order did not follow the Levitical priesthood, was not of the lineage of the Levitical priesthood, had a completely different purpose than the Levitical priesthood. It was the order of Melchizedek, which takes its cue from that shadowy, mysterious figure who comes on the scene in Genesis 14 at the beginning of the history of the Hebrew people to bring focus And devotion and dedication at a critical time let's look at Hebrews 7 this Melchizedek king of Salem priest of the Most High God who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all the tithes or of the spoil first being translated king of righteousness and then also king of Salem meaning king of peace without father, without mother, without genealogy having neither beginning of days nor end of life but made like the son of God that's an important phrase When it says that he's without mother and without father and without genealogy, it's not saying that he didn't have a mother and a father and that he didn't have a human earthly line. It simply means that because the scripture shrouds him in mystery, we don't know where he came from. We don't know his lineage. He has been made like the Son of God by virtue of how he's presented. He is not the Son of God. Verse 4. Consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are the sons of Levi who receive the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them, that is, not of the Levitical order, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. What was it God said to Abraham? He who blesses you, I will bless. And he who curses you, I will curse. And the author of Hebrews says, the lesser is blessed by the greater. Here mortal men receives tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is written, that he lives. And even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Let me give you seven things. Number one, the priesthood according to Melchizedek is a priesthood that is to bless the nation of Israel. You and I have not called to be their judge. We are called to be a priesthood standing in their behalf. Number two, we are to minister to them righteousness and peace. Here's our evangelistic outreach to the Jewish people. There are many ministries that are totally devoted to the evangelism of the Jewish people. All ministries should be devoted to some degree to the evangelism of the Jewish people. Third, we are to be conformed to the character of Christ, made like the Son of God. What was it Paul said there in Romans 12, verse 2? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Fourth, this priesthood is a royal and an eternal priesthood in other words it comes from the lineage of the king but not through the lineage of israel and it lasts forever that's your priesthood he remains a priest perpetually there is no end to this ministry what are you and i going to be doing throughout the ages world without end we're going to be functioning as a priesthood after the order of melchizedek ministering to them and to all who have come into their fold fifth Priesthood after the order of Melchizedek receives the spoils of victory as a tithe. There's a victory coming that is much greater than the victory Abram won over Chedorlaomer and the five kings. There's a victory coming that is going to involve the entire world. It's going to be a tiny remnant of a shattered nation that is going to conquer the earth. And they're going to win their victory because we'll be playing our part. Six. The priesthood of Melchizedek is not of Jewish lineage. Notice verse 6. He whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham. And 7. The priesthood after the order of Melchizedek is superior. Verse 7. Beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. You have the word better. Better is a key word in the book of Hebrews, and it means uh, that which is superior by comparison. But When we read Hebrews chapter 11, we start with the phrase or the word that begins it in uh, verse 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. He tells us in verse 6 that without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And then he begins a roster of those who through Old Testament times, through generations of Old Testament believers, sought him, beginning back before Abram. It's a lineage of faith. It's interesting to ask the question, why did he include the people he included and why did he leave out the people he left out? Notice what he says, starting in verse 33, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong. There's the key to who he chose. Verse 39 says, and all these having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise." Do you remember 1 Peter 1, verses 10 through 12, where Peter said that the prophets were perplexed because they saw that something was coming, that is, his sufferings, and they saw something else coming, his glories, and they looked at it and they said, how does this fit? What kind of a time can this be? I can't put this all together, but it was revealed to them that what they were ministering was not to themselves, but to us. They didn't even know who we were. A people that are not a nation, a people yet to be created, but a people who one day are going to read their story and be made strong because of it and accomplish something because of it and get grafted in because of it so that the root doesn't die, so that the root survives, so that the tree finally blossoms again and bears fruit. Look at verse 40. God, having provided something better for us better, again, superior. Why did he do that? So that they should not be made perfect without us. So that they would not fulfill the plan of God for them as a nation without the help of the church so that God's plan for them could not be fulfilled until he created a new people, a nation that could provoke them, a nation that could be an example to them, a nation that they would be able to look back at. As you and I look back at Hebrews 11 and the roster of 2,000 years, they will look back at a roster of 2,000 years and they're going to read the stories of the John Wesleys, Charles Spurgeon, D.L. Moody, they're going to hear about the saints, great and small they're going to be affected even by you and I. They're going to say, how great were those people? How great was the love that they had for us? They're going to know once their eyes are open, once they see their foolish leadership sign a seven-year covenant, those 144,000 evangelists that start the time of the tribulation period are going to meet Jesus Christ on the Mount of Olives, they're going to be gathered there waiting when he comes back. And guess who's going to meet him there? He's going to come on horseback. Hope you're getting your riding lessons in. We have a few brief hours to embrace an aspect of our mission that I think we've largely forgotten. So I'd encourage you to do three things. Number one, intercede in behalf of Israel. That's the greatest and the strongest thing you can do. Don't just pray for the nation now. Don't just pray that they will be delivered from their enemies now. Think ahead, look ahead into the story, and lodge prayers before the throne of God that are going to get answered then. You pray for the 144,000. You pray that God might use you to start something, to send out a ripple that's going to have an impact on them. A book that you send, a a prayer that you pray, a, a witness that you give, you never know. Number two, stand up for them in the arena of world opinion, Stand up in the arena of your sphere of influence. Don't hold your tongue when people badmouth Israel. Number three, the day may come that you'll have to shelter them. Anti-Semitism is sweeping the world again. Isn't it interesting? Hostility of a kind that we haven't seen since Nazi Germany is now in Germany, France, Britain, America. And I would wrap all of this up under one phrase. Don't let the blessed hope lose its blessing for you. It's a blessed hope for a reason, and that is that we have fulfilled our mission and that God is now going to be able to bring the children of Israel to the knowledge of himself.